On the morning of 7th September 1978, Georgi Markov, a Bulgarian dissident, was waiting for a bus on Waterloo Bridge in London. He felt a sharp pain in his leg and looked behind him to see a man holding an umbrella. That evening, Markov fell ill and he died four days later of ricin poisoning delivered from the tip of the umbrella. Ricin is extremely toxic and poisoning can be deliberate or accidental. There have been cases of ricin and poisoning since 1978 and no doubt there will be more. So I'm glad that we have an expert to hand for this BMJ clinical podcast on ricin poisoning. Dr. Susan Smolensky is director of the New Mexico Poison and Drug Information Center and professor of pharmacy practice at administrative sciences at the University of New Mexico. So Susan, let's start off. Could you tell us what exactly is ricin and what is ricin poisoning? Thank you. Uh, Ricin is a natural toxin and it is obtained from the castor bean plant or Ricinus communis. The uh, toxin is unique in the plant world. It's what's called a ribosome inhibiting protein or uh, sometimes called a toxalbumin. It's a type of protein that attacks the RNA in our body and finds a specific pair of amino acids and and breaks those apart. And the resultant factor is that your RNA can then not replicate and make DNA so your cells stop making protein. And that causes havoc in all parts of the body. And what are the symptoms of that havoc? How how would you recognize an affected patient? It very much resembles other uh, infectious diseases in particular. So, and it does depend a little bit upon the route of exposure. So at the poison center world, we hear about a lot of accidental exposures in children. And I've even had some in adults who thought it was a nut that was edible and started chomping on them. When you swallow it, the first protein uh, cell that it sees is your your gut, your intestinal tract. And it does have a delayed onset because it takes a while for the molecule itself to to embed itself into the cells. Um, It's a two-part molecule with an A chain and a B chain, and the B chain helps the A chain get into the body. So you get a delay with nothing happening for about two to six hours. And there's even been delays up to 10 hours So it's a very severe hemorrhagic type gastroenteritis. So it starts generally with a a bloody profuse diarrhea and that can lead to shock and dehydration in as soon as four hours. If the patient uh, recovers from that phase, then on day two or three, all of the other organs in the body start to fail. So you end up with kidney damage, liver damage, your lungs can be damaged, and your bone marrow can be suppressed. So you may die on day four or five of sepsis uh, of infection. One characteristic sign for, for the physician to recognize that this is ricin is a very high fever. So it's an acute phase reactant because of the shock. So patients will present with a fever, and that was one of the things that tipped off the authorities to Georgie Markov's Uh, cause of illness, Uh, that in addition to the pellet being extremely small. There is also in in children about 50% of the cases have QT prolongation on the ECG. 
And that is uh, possibly a direct effect of the ricin, but more likely because of the profound hypokalemia or low potassium levels that happens with dehydration. And then you can die on day four or later, generally when your organs fail. Inhalation seems to be uh, what the authorities think is the most likely scenario for a bioterrorism event that is deliberate. People have, including the US in the 1940s and Iraq more recently, have weaponized ricin and taken the, uh, the raw material and made it into a very fine powder that can be delivered as an aerosol and then inhaled. There is no human cases of this happening, fortunately, but we have animal models where, where we can expect to see what will happen. So it, it's even more delayed than by ingestion, about four to six hours, and starts, it's primarily a respiratory toxidrome with cough, difficulty breathing, eventually acute lung injury, and then it can progress to the full scenario of, of multi-organ failure. The uh, parenteral route, so either intramuscular, intravenous, the method uh, with the pellet being injected, that is unlikely to happen unless deliberate. We have had uh, reports of suicidal injection by this route. And again, the onset's delayed and it starts a little bit differently, generalized weakness, muscle aching, and then over about one day to one and a half days, vomiting, shock, and, and the rest of the scenario. And then finally, ricin is very uh, toxic to the eye. So if the powder, the weaponized powder were to get into the eye, you would have severe eye irritation, possibly corneal abrasion, and it will be absorbed from the eye surface. Th thank you, Susan, that's really helpful. And as well as an ECG and electrolytes, what other tests would you request? I would do serial complete blood counts. And again, it, it may not help you right away, but it will give you a cue as to the bone marrow suppression that will occur later. Uh, monitor liver function tests, such as transaminases, INR, um, and kidney function tests are, are the mainstays of measurements. You can, in some places, obtain urine and measure a component of ricin, but this is not routinely done by hospitals. It will have to be the health authorities in your country that can run that test. Okay, thank you. And what's the mainstay of treatment? The mainstay of treatment currently is supportive care. We, there is no antidote for ricin toxicity. Uh, it is important to get ahead of the dehydration and to control that because it is a, a cause of early death with shock. Vasopressors may be needed if the shock is severe. There is experimentally a vaccine that's being looked at, but it's not available at this, at this time. And then finally, if it is an oral ingestion, and this could be, say, a food poisoning, uh, there is a credible threat of ricin being added to food and beverages, then uh, activated charcoal is recommended. Okay, thank you. And do patients need to be isolated, or is that not an issue? 
The isolation depends on the scenario. If it were an aerosolized release of powder, then that patient is contaminated and people who touch that powder or inhale that powder from the patient are at risk. So if it is a skin or inhalation powder exposure, they should be decontaminated before uh, going into the hospital. Once they are there and decontaminated, there is no threat and they don't need to be isolated, perhaps two or three days later when they become immunosuppressed for their own safety, but there's, there's no risk to other workers once they're decontaminated. Okay, thank you. And I guess a an important message would be to call for advice from a Poisons Information Center, I'm, I'm guessing. Absolutely. The Poison Center should be a first stop. You know, they know all of the authorities involved and who can help in the diagnosis. If it's a suspicious powder, they can arrange to get that tested. And they will probably advise you if it is a deliberate situation, to contact your public health authority. Thank you. And do patients typically need intensive care or high dependency care? Patients will often need intensive care. A patient who presents with symptoms should be an automatic admit to intensive care. If they have no symptoms at all when they present, and that's totally possible with little children who ingest one or two seeds, they can be observed in the emergency department for six to 10 hours. And if they remain with no symptoms, they can be sent home. And in terms of differential diagnosis, what are the differentials to ricin poisoning and how do you tell it apart from those differentials? That's a great question. It's a very broad differential diagnosis because this severe hemorrhagic gastroenteritis can mimic many routine viral or bacterial uh, infectious uh, causes. The blood in the stool will limit it to just a few infectious causes. But the other thing I often think of with this toxidrome is heavy metals. So deliberate ingestion of arsenic, uh, inorganic salts of arsenic, for example, or inorganic mercury and those type of things. The, The metals are are difficult to diagnose because they they need a laboratory test that is often takes three to five days. So you're going to need to have a high index of suspicion and, and to treat them for the metal before you even find out what it is. And of course, there are other plants that contain ricin-like molecules. So the rosary pea, black locust seeds, uh, there's any number of plants Uh, that can cause this toxidrome. Uh, Colchicine, which has a different component, um, either as a tablet or in the plant world as autumn crocus, uh, can produce this multi-organ failure. Okay, thank you. And back to ricin poisoning specifically, I wonder what are the pitfalls in the diagnosis and management of ricin poisoning? The, The pitfalls in diagnosis is just not recognizing or taking a patient who's asymptomatic, has no symptoms, and deciding after two hours that they're okay to go home. Because as I mentioned before, it can be a a delay of up to 10 hours uh, before they develop symptoms. And also another pitfall is failure to decontaminate. So if it's an oral ingestion by mouth, uh, it's very important. One of, since we don't have an antidote, 
the only thing we can really do to prevent severe poisoning or death is, is to decontaminate. So I, I know there's a trend worldwide for uh, decontamination to not be performed, but this is one situation where I would pull out all the stops. So start with activated charcoal, uh, whole bowel irrigation has been done successfully to push the seeds out the other end. And, and I know there's a concern of some physicians about using whole bowel irrigation, thinking that, well, we know that causes diarrhea. It's why we use it as a colon cleanser. But the preparations we use don't cause a net fluid loss or electrolyte loss. So it's merely a, a garden hose effect of, of pushing the seeds out, and it won't add to the dehydration. Okay, thank you. And in the Poisons Information Center, what questions do you typically get asked about rice and poisoning by doctors? By doctors, often they want to know um, how many seeds are toxic because they don't have the resources that, that poison information centers would have. And the answer we give them, um, you, there are fatal cases with as few as three seeds chewed in an adult. And most poison centers will, will actually manage up to two seeds at home, regardless of, of the age of the patient. The second most common question we are asked by physicians is how long do I need to monitor my patient? And as I've mentioned, at least six to 10 hours if there are no symptoms. Um, and it's very unlikely that if you don't have the gastrointestinal symptoms that anything will be wrong uh, later on. Okay, thank you. And final question, if you had one single piece of advice to give to a healthcare professional about rice and poisoning, I wonder what would it be? It would be to uh, recognize that Ricin along with anthrax are two natural toxins that are the most likely or among the most likely to be used in, in terrorist types of poisoning. And it's most likely to be uh, a food source or a powder in an envelope. And we've had a lot of cases internationally of suspicious powders and, and people being poisoned. So I, I would just recommend keeping a an index of suspicion, uh, especially if you have more than one patient come in who have been at one event and, and perhaps all present with similar symptoms. That's the time when you want to call your poison center. Okay, thank you very much, Susan, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognize, report, and refer affected patients. If you do want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign in to BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on common toxic plant ingestions. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.